Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Hello, listeners. I'm Dan Kendall, the host of Digital Health Today and founder of the Health Podcast Network. This is a third episode in a series produced in partnership with DocSF and Digital Health Today. DocSF is all about the intersection of digital health and musculoskeletal care. And if you've been following along for the last few episodes, which I hope you have, you know that I've been sharing conversations that I had with leaders at the DocSF event. It was held in San Francisco on January 11th and 12th, the weekend before JPM week. DocSF is organized by Professor Stefano Bini, an orthopedic surgeon and innovator at UCSF. And this year, DocSF had the additional firepower and leadership of Shauna Butler. Shauna is a nurse economist and an upcoming guest on Digital Health Today. You can also hear the important and high-impact conversations that Shauna is leading on her own podcast, which was launched in January, called See You Now. Be sure to check that out on your favorite podcast app, and we'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes. And be sure to subscribe to Digital Health Today so you'll get the episode that we'll release with Shauna very soon. In our previous episode, number 96, I spoke to Molly McCarthy. Molly is the chief nursing officer at Microsoft, and she spoke about some of the tremendous work that Microsoft is doing with leading health organizations. One of the examples that we spoke about is the work that Microsoft is doing with Stryker to enhance the safety and maintenance of medical devices. We also touched on the HoloLens and how Stryker uses that technology to create augmented reality models of operating room environments. Stryker is well known as a leading orthopedic company, and they have an amazing track record of developing revolutionary technology. And I should know, full disclosure here, I spent a good part of my career at Stryker working in roles in sales, marketing, and product development. I worked with their extremely talented engineers led by people like Rick Buter and Saman Hamid. And my job was to get their ingenious solutions adopted and implemented in hospitals around the world. Well, true to form, Stryker is developing new and leading ways to transform and enhance the technology available in musculoskeletal care. While I was at DocSF, I sat down with Robert Cohen. Robert is the CTO of Stryker Orthopedics, and he shared some insights on the work that Stryker is doing to improve surgical practice, as well as capture more and better data about patient outcomes. As I mentioned earlier, this interview is available on both Digital Health Today and on the DocSF podcast, so be sure to tune into more conversations like these by checking them both out on the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter there and keep up to date on the latest and best podcasts focused on health and care. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Dan Kendall. I'm here at DocSF in San Francisco, California. It's January 12th, 2020, and with me is Robert Cohen. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Stryker Joint Replacement. Robert, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Robert, we're here at DocSF. I want to talk about what you talked about on stage and what you're going to talk about shortly. But first, let's just go through a little bit on your origin story. How did you get to your current role at, at Stryker, and what are some of the things that you're focused on doing now? Yeah, well, oddly enough, uh, when I finished uh, out of college, I actually worked for a company called Stryker Orthopedics, which was the very early beginnings of Stryker getting involved in the hip and knee. That goes back to the 80s. Started up some companies, companies got acquired, started up another company, company got acquired. The last company that acquired my company was Mako Surgical Robotics, so a robot that helps facilitate a surgeon to place a hip or knee implant, specifically where a patient may need it. So I got to help run that company, and then lo and behold, Stryker acquired Mako, and uh, now I'm sitting here focused on hip implants, knee implants, a robot to help facilitate the surgeon, as well as pre-planning patients, tracking patients' outcomes, and looking at a whole bunch of new technology for the future. 
So let's talk about this meeting, first of all. So why are meetings like this important for organizations like yours? Well, if you look at Stryker and knowing that Stryker is well down the path of digital solutions, our whole objective on improving healthcare relates also back to this world of individualized medicine. And when we look at total hip and total knees, we benefited from new biomaterials in the past, new methodologies on how to align implants, better instrumentation, better identification of what patient population may be best served by that implant. But we haven't evolved to any great extent beyond the implant to help understand that specific patient's needs and then how to understand those specific patient needs and how to execute a plan that was unique to that person. So the story isn't as much about implant design because we've evolved into very good implants. The story is now is where does that implant go in that individual patient? So that's really interesting because you've developed great materials. You've developed very strong operational facilities and, and sales teams that are able to go out and support clients using your products. You've developed robotics that are now helping with actually getting these, these products implanted in the, the optimal way. Tell us about the, the patient aspect of that. Once that patient has received that implant, where is the relationship with Stryker going? Are you guys continuing to monitor and build a relationship with them to understand more of their experience post-implant? I don't know if it's a relationship specific with the patient, but if you look at our industry as overall, orthopedics has been challenged on the data side. We've been challenged for a number of reasons. It's not as simple as say a disease that has a year cured where there's a pass or fail criteria. Determining patient satisfaction and success of a patient is a challenge because there are so many data touch points. Think about it. You have the patient pre-op, you have imaging pre-op, you have the surgeon intraoperatively, you have the hospital environment, you have comorbidities of that patient. That patient leaves, now you have a physical therapist that impacted that patient's care, pharmaceuticals that affected that patient's care. Maybe did that person go to a long-term care center? So all these different points and data points, companies didn't have means to collect data. So essentially, we just look to see if a patient had to have a reoperation in the years to come, patient survivorship. One, what we know today though, is patient survivorship, there is no direct correlation of patient survivorship to patient satisfaction. Let me give you an example. So if you get a total knee placed in you, you may not be able to walk upstairs right. You may actually be in pain when you walk in a mall, say for a hundred yards, but your knee didn't have to come out and you didn't go back for a reoperation, you were lost in the healthcare system. Nobody actually captured that you were dissatisfied and your quality of life suffered. So now we're in a new world, there's healthcare economics, hospitals look for companies to partner with them, patients look for companies to contribute in ways that makes their rehabilitation better or return to work better. So now in R&D department, and I represent a relatively large R&D department, we have outcome studies and economics embedded within R&D. That's actually very unique, because why? Well, let's look at a couple things. What's the success of a total hip or a total knee patient? What was your length of stay in the hospital? Did you go home that day? What was your discharge status? Did you go to a care center? Did you have to stay in the hospital for three days? How long were you at physical therapy? How long were you on pharmaceuticals? When did you return to work? Did you have a reoperation? Did you have a readmission? What is your overall satisfaction? 
How could you walk up and down stairs? How could you get out of a car? Everything I just mentioned, you will not find quantifiable data that can capture that. There's so many variables and there's so many opinions on assessing that. That's where this world of digital is gonna come in and help us understand our current patients who are operating on and then better understand in the future how we can benefit from all this experience and contribute in a ways to improve outcomes. So that's what I meant when I said build a relationship earlier. Basically, how do you track all that data? Because what happens over that six months post-discharge? Who's actually tracking that and how are you finding that? Yeah, we're st actually, you know, total candor. We're still in the process of doing that. We could put sensors on patients, but compliance of sensors on patients is not very good. But let's go back and even think what happens before the patient gets released from a hospital or care center. If you think of the data side of it, there's a benefit of robotics. So right now with the Stryker Mako robot, we are capturing a three-dimensional CT scan of that patient. So we have the true anatomy, not your opinion looking at an X-ray. We have the full three-dimensional analysis of that patient's bone. Then we also record the preoperative plan for where those implants go in that bone. Then we have the capability to record the surgeon change intraoperatively off data that comes off the robot. So that unique patient, we started off of the plan. What was the change of that plan? And then we can port out of the robot the final three-dimensional placement of that implant in someone. So the starting point of where we are to understand the post-operative patient performance data is really, really exciting. And we're just trying to figure out all those points because we need patient to enter data. We need the surgeon to enter data. We need the physical therapist to enter data. And if we wanna look at gait and try to understand someone's flexion and how they're bending their knee, it's, it's not about just doing something as simple say as a Fitbit, that'll help, but that'll just show that the person's mobile. But how is that person's leg functioning? And are they walking normal? Let's say that's parameter. The definition of walking normal and having data capability to record that, we're still on that journey. We're getting close. There's a number of different options. It'll be some form of sensors. Might be a sensor in your shoe. Might be a sensor that's like a Band-Aid that you put over your femur and your tibia. Maybe something that is just infrared looking at the way you're walking. Not sure which technology is gonna win there. But at least now, we're starting with the starting point. And on Mako, for example, with the robot, we're doing 12, thousand Mako procedures a month, a month. If you think the capability to harvest data out of that, so not only is that exciting, but it pales in comparison of studies in the past, which were 25 patients, 50 patients, or 100 patients. Now we're talking about thousands of patients with different comorbidity, different level and degrees of their arthritic condition. It is a whole new frontier, and it's putting that data together that's a little bit of the challenge because we don't know yet what we're going to find, but at least we know what type of data we're going to be able to pull. I didn't realize 12,000 cases a month. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing number. I want to talk about that uh, in a little bit. But now if you can capture all this data afterwards, you're really going to have a complete visibility. And what a great competitive advantage for an organization that can not only quantify everything leading up to that operation, but even be able to track the patient outcomes much later. It's competitive advantage for sure. But the whole intent 
to improve outcomes, we don't know enough about these patients postoperatively. So we will be able to follow up the patients, but what's the benefit of that patient data? So we'll be able to tell if that patient's in some form of distress or not behaving, maybe in the intended way and say, okay, caution, maybe this patient should be looked at. But think about how we'll be able to look and understand the intraoperative plan, and now you have machine learning, and it's a continuous learning. Because now we could take that plan with that patient and that kind of bone condition, that age profile, that BMI profile, that other comorbidity profile, and actually take that now and learn how that patient did and say, hey, maybe we've been putting implants aligned in patients that are typical to that in the wrong way. And maybe we'd benefit, let's say, if the bone was cut at a different slope. Maybe they would get more flexion. So we'll be able to do that. And eventually, the world will have automated planning for these cases. And you'll be able to mine a database that'll be tens of thousands of patients. Look at the success criteria of that patient population. Fit that individual patient into that bucket. Be able to look at uh, different ways of approaching different levels of what happened in the hospital. And I think where you're gonna find is predictive analytics that'll say, okay, patient, get a CT, fill out this questionnaire. You should get this type of striker knee implant. It's expected you'll have a high probability of less complications if you stay in the hospital for two days. You are better off going for physical therapy for four months, not two months. You should not expect to go back to work for five months. And you should be expect to be weaned on pharmaceuticals at this time frame and actually have a profile of that patient and be able to affect it even beyond just the implant itself, but actually look at that whole episode of care and statistically now make decisions based on a patient population that showed similar success. I want to switch gears a little bit to the robot. I've attended this meeting for a few years. And there was a debate in a room next door a couple of years ago about surgical robots and whether they added any value in the operating room. And there were a good number of people in the room who were quite adamant against the use of robots in soft tissue and in orthopedic cases as well. So can you sort of give us the current state of play of where the science is, where the literature is, the, the papers that are supporting or dispelling the use of robots? Yeah, so I, I can tell you that firstly, let's talk about not like a da Vinci robot because right. it's a different kind of robot. Yeah. So let's talk about a robot that's a, a hard tissue bone type yeah. interface robot, musculoskeletal. That kind of robot. So Stryker acquired Mako Surgical in that robot six years ago. And six years ago, many thought that was just a marketing gimmick on Stryker's part and Stryker needed something new to talk about. I'm not sure why people fully thought about that because to spend over a billion dollars on that, I'm still not understanding where people were coming from. But anyway. That may have happened around the same time as Facebook bought Oculus. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe may, they were trying may, to draw a parallel. Maybe so. But in the world of med tech, billion dollars plus is still a lot of money. And I think what we've seen since is any new technology that transforms is typically not well accepted and not well understood. Any new technology that has to affect a cultural change where a surgeon did everything, it was a surgeon's mind doing everything. We in the, in the business of surgery have maintained very human factored. But if you take a look at other things, for instance, if you wanna fly overseas and you wanna fly to Australia, would you prefer the plane is on autopilot or would you prefer that the pilot's flying the whole time? You would probably prefer autopilot. 
Um, I saw an interesting analysis of technology and people even talked about baseball pitchers and a pitcher by themselves, if you gave them 50 balls, maybe it's 35 strikes and a couple go outside and a pitching machine hits every time the catcher's met every time. Now, if you think of hip and knee surgery, what are you shooting for? A target in that individual patient. The purpose of the robot is not to think. This thing with artificial intelligence, that's not what this is, right? So the robot is executing the surgeon's plan by giving more information about that patient to the surgeon and for that surgeon to act on that information, intraoperatively assess the mobility of that patient, then log in that plan and then execute that plan. Once people started to understand that, it wasn't a threat anymore. Now, essentially, it was another power tool in the operating room that was more precise and more accurate. That created an adoption of robotics now in a bigger kind of way. And interesting enough, for those who say, I think they're, they're getting a little quieter. But right now, you can't force surgeons. We have surgeons with the robot for five years. If a surgeon buys it, still doesn't see the value of it at one or two years, they'll stop using it. Look at hip and knee navigation. Perfect examples, right? Our utilization rate of Mako robots in hospitals is increasing still. And in fact, many hospitals have bought a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth Mako robot in the same hospital because they believe that's the best standard of care. So hard to argue with surgeon to surgeon. The second part of it is we have over 130 peer review literature. Someone could say, you know, it's a friend of yours and they did this study. So not 130 papers. And then lastly, if you take a look at something that's totally independent, like the Australian Joint Registry, we don't know what surgeons are contributing to data, robotic procedures on partial knees, on total knees, and total hips have a better short-term survivorship than any other technology that's being recorded with those hip and knee implants. So you have independent assessment of national registries, independent assessment of peer review literature, and I think probably the ultimate is the number of robotic procedures we're doing per month. But if you think about Stryker, a relatively large company and a leader in orthopedics, one third of all primary knees that get implanted in the United States that Stryker sells go in robotically already. And that rate's increasing dramatically. So if you look at the typical adoption curve, I think we're well past the early adopters. Some people want to see evidence. There's enough peer review literature to support that. Now I think talking about is robotics a standard of care, less soft tissue disruption. Why would a patient not benefit something that's placed in them and more accurate and precise specifically for where they need it? And that individualized medicine is not something we talked about in hips and knee procedures. And now we have a tool that will allow us to talk about it. And we're gonna continually learn how to use that tool by all the patient performance data, demographic data, health come economic data, uh, hospital record data, and we're gonna be able to benefit those patients and we're gonna be able to learn better. It's gonna help on the plan. It's gonna help out with patient population statistics. It, it really, that robot, and I also say Stryker is not a robotics company. We're still about the hip and knee implant. That's still what matters. But in this situation, we now have a tool. So the robot essentially is an enabler to execute a plan like we never could before. Why would that be bad? It's just illogical. And it's a data machine like we never had before. Combine those two things together, we will continue to evolve and we will be improving outcomes um, for the years to come. This is not a 10 year story. We'll be able to do it in relatively short order.
Well, I was actually going to ask you about that because you've been involved in orthopedics since you graduated from college. So I'm guessing 10 or 20 years. So three years ago, <laughs> three years ago. Um, so uh, when you look back on the last 10 years or so, is there anything that surprised you? I mean, has the pace of change been slower than you thought? Has it been faster? Are you in, uh, are you optimistic and energized by it? Or are you waiting for people to catch up with what you're able to do? It's a great question. We've evolved in for orthopedics, I'm proud to be a, an engineer and, and an R&D leader for you know over 30 years in this business. And we've made really good decisions on implant designs, really good decision on biomaterials, but we've been limited, right? We've been limited by conventional manufacturing processes that have not changed, conventional instrument sets that we just incrementally change. I think people are starting to understand patient satisfaction matters, don't just get graded on survivorship at 10 years. That you can have a survivorship to be 90% survivorship in knees at 10 years, but 30% of those patients are dissatisfied. I think we as an industry have ignored it. I think surgeons are more, are more focused on it. I think then also, how do we partner with surgeons where we're trying to do a reduction of the length of stay, have greater OR efficiency, have greater reproducibility, and increase in an earlier time frame patient satisfaction. I think the timing was right that people started to understand those are things we should participate in. And then the robot was really that enabler to help us answer some of those desires. So am I surprised the adoption of robotics? Maybe to some extent of the rate but I'm not surprised robotics got adopted. And when you look ahead at the next 10 years, we're at the beginning of 2020 now, we're at the start of a new year, new decade. What are some of the things that you would say to hospital systems out there, payers, providers, that they should be thinking about over the next 12 months or over the next five years, they should be thinking about the way they should adapt their orthopedics practice? Well, if you look at the orthopedic practice and you look at what companies can do, right? So the information sharing, right now a hospital, a surgeon, and a company working together is the best answer singularly by themselves, they can't work on efficiency to a greater extent. We provide instruments, instruments, that's equipment. Also, everybody wants a happy patient. Everybody wants a happy patient, but one party by itself can't answer all the aspects of the equation that actually will result in that patient to the highest level of outcomes that we want. So looking at hospital data, looking at the surgeon data, the patient data, and, and from companies, and companies have to be more forthright as well. I think you're looking at a partnership now that we've never had before. And I think this data will help hospitals, help surgeons, help patients on what patients should get what implant, where that implant should be, how do you reduce complications of that patient, which has a whole economic side to it. And then if you add in third-party payers and what their criteria for success of a patient, it really is a combination of the hospital, the surgeon, and the company. So look forward to the data, look forward to maybe us working on new implants that are 3D printed that don't look like any implants that we've seen in the past. Look forward to new robotic applications that maybe go through smaller incisions and have less patient complications immediately post-op and look for us to do things on early intervention and look for us to do things, this level of accuracy, precision, this Mako robot, we haven't even touched its full capabilities. It has still such long runway. The good news is the robot hardware is good. It's all about software and software applications and watch what we're gonna do. Don't be surprised in five to 10 years, if you look at a knee implant, then maybe it won't look anything like a knee implant we have today. Wow, that's exciting. It is.
How can people find out more about Striker Orthopedics or Striker Joint Replacements and get in touch with you or your colleagues? Well, we have we have representation all over, so feel free to reach out to a Striker sales rep, but also feel free. Uh, we're in Mawa, New Jersey. Just email our market communications department there. They'll put you in touch with the right person. And we are very transparent. We are very forward-facing. And if you can tell, we love talking about this stuff. That's great. Well, Robert, thanks so much for taking time to speak with me here on the podcast and also for uh, being a part of the DocSF meeting. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Just a quick reminder that you can find both the Digital Health Today podcast and the DocSF podcast on the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter to receive weekly updates on the latest and best podcasts in healthcare. Find it at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Music.